officially start the session. Obviously, just now we kind of started a bit already. We had some banter here and there. Uh, but just to inform you guys, whatever we said tonight, though Mrs. Sunny, Economist, Certified Financial Planner, whatever we said tonight is more like a, a friendly advice. It's not financial advice. Okay, It's just based on our own perspective. At the end of the day, you remember to do your own research and stuff. Okay, uh, Just a brief introduction of two of our speakers today. Mrs. Sunny, I'm sure a lot of you guys in the audience know uh, Economist Certified Financial Planner. He has 30 years of uh, experience in the markets. Kind of gets grumpy a bit of times, lah. But uh, I'll try, <laughs> to, keep... <laughs> I'll try to keep it a bit casual tonight. So, so yeah, you can go on ahead, Mr. Sunny. Uh, we also have Fast over here. Uh, this is the second time we actually do a session with Fast. The first time I, we've done a session with Fast is the during the Celsius crisis. So yeah, actually, it's a bit sad because uh, every time Fast is here, there's something happening. I hope the next time Fast we do a session together is about something good happening. <laughs> but but anyway, just a just a quick introduction of FAST. Later, you can take the mic and continue your own introduction. FAST is the CEO of MX Global, who currently has a standing partnership with Binance, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so FAST, you want to go ahead and take the mic and talk a bit about uh, what you're currently doing, just in case the audience here doesn't know. Yeah, sure. So uh, we're a regulated exchange in Malaysia. And so there are four, uh, you know, the technical terms like registered with the Securities Commission. And essentially what we provide is the legal means to be able to use your ringgit to buy cryptocurrencies. Right now, you know, we offer Bitcoin and Ethereum, which is uh, what predominantly the market wants. We totally get it that a lot of users want other sort of altcoins and meme coins. Um, but I think it really, the, the events of today kind of show you that like, you know, you can't just rely on the top 20 list on, on, on coin market cap or, or coin gecko, right? And, and, and think that that's quote unquote safe. <clears throat> so I think that's some, some part of what we're going to discuss tonight. Happy to share, and and you know, um, for those of you who are interested, I mean, there, there there's a bunch of Twitter spaces going on, but there's one in particular that has quite a lot of luminaries from the industry, uh, you know, big names like like CZ was on it, uh, Elon Musk, uh, SBF has not been on it yet, right? Uh, uh, Usu, the the the, the infamous uh, proprietor of Three AC, Three uh, Aeros Capital, was a listener and has. Has been listening for many many hours, but but also refused to take the mic on those ones. So there there are lots of these spaces, and and maybe if I can suggest right for our session today, what 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 we've learned in MS Global is like a lot of the Malaysian market are, are in relative terms less tech savvy, right? Uh, the less technical crowd. So uh, maybe if I can take the opportunity here to like you know maybe suggest that we keep our conversation today to uh, as close to a layman kind of perspective as possible, because I don't want to get too much into the technical. Uh, and and the tele the technical jargon and stuff because yeah maybe people will will be lost in the uh, in 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 what we share uh, and and more importantly like I I believe that there's a huge propensity in crypto where where people just take take away like a soundbite and then they build an entire bible out of that right so we we I think we should try to avoid being overly technical and jargon on on this this space and just keep it very like you know uh, what what. What like like I think you're gonna ask me like you know how do you describe to a five year old maybe not not maybe not the words a five year old would necessarily understand but like yeah definitely not not expecting somebody to be a smart contract developer to kind of really uh, understand what we discussed tonight. Yeah, don't don't worry fast. I've already uh, put the Malaysian flag over here in our space tonight. So hopefully we can draw more Malaysians into the space. And uh, by the way, uh, our session tonight. It's open. So if you guys at any point of time want to join in on a discussion, want to be a speaker as well, or 
ask some questions. Hopefully, it's not too technical or what sort. Just don't hesitate to uh, request to be a speaker, and then immediately I will approve you, and we open the floor to you guys. We do have a few questions planned, uh, but if you guys have any burning questions, please do ask away. Or if you are a bit shy, you can just DM any of us. Uh, Mr. Sunny's DMs are open. I think Fast DMs are also open. Uh, and I also check my DMs to make sure that uh, we will address all the questions tonight. Uh, so, Mr. Sunny, you want to do a brief introduction uh, of yourself before we proceed? Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm a economist slash strategist uh, working for a financial advisory firm here in Singapore. Um, we have also a branch in Malaysia, in fact. Um, I'm in charge of um, setting the asset allocation, so-called um, the direction of investment for, for the firm. Um, so a lot of macro, uh, macro stuff. So, so I set the macro settings like, you know, um, crypto is, is an asset class that we want to get involved in. Uh, my colleague, um, whom I work very closely with, um, who is an ex-fund manager, uh, we will then sit down and decide how then do we uh, represent this view in terms of a solution. So we'll find a fund manager who we think will represent a good way for our clients to get into this asset class, so and so forth. So it's very similar also to the um, mutual fund unit trust. So if I think, let's say, for example, Malaysia is a good investable uh, team, <clears throat> then we'll find a fund manager who, who, who we feel can reflect that, that, that viewpoint. So that's how we, we work. Lah. Um, so basically, I'm 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 uh, coming more from a top-down approach, uh, so to say. So when I look at crypto, so it's, it's basically more or less a top-down approach. Yeah, and uh, just quick some quick facts over here. Mr. Sunny is uh, currently working as the advisor of the Futurist also, and basically most of the long threads that you see from us that whenever we write always goes through Mr. Sunny just to make sure all the facts are correct and ensure that we don't spread any misinformation. So huge thank you on Mr. Sunny for uh, quality checking our content because nowadays it's uh, difficult to do quality checks on the things that we're going to talk about right now, which is FTX. I mean, let's just, get, let's just straight away dive into it. Okay? Let's just say today, you know, uh, first you have a five-year-old. Okay? Let's just say, uh, I don't know whether you have kids or not. How would you explain um, the FTX crisis to a five-year-old? Okay, so a bunch of American friends from very, very smart schools got together and made a place where you can buy cryptocurrency and not just any cryptocurrency, but you can do very, very um, fancy things with it, right? Um, I don't want to use technical terms like uh, the margin calls and all, but basically it's not just buy, sell. You can do all sorts of things on this platform and it really attracted a lot of people to kind of invest to the tokens, but also to the various products that they have. And as it turns out, uh, this exchange became very successful in terms of dominating the, the, the daily trading volume, right? It's, it's fair to say it's on any given day in the most recent history, a top five exchange. That in itself gave a lot of people confidence to use it. So it kind of perpetuates this positive cycle of a lot more people uh, using the platform. Now, as it turns out, they were doing a lot of things with the funds that the investors or the users had deposited uh, without the user's knowledge. Now, to compound onto that, or maybe a five-year-old wouldn't understand the word compound, but to make it worse, right? They listed a token 
which seemed from from a very surface level, hey, it makes sense, right? We have this token, you can do more things, you can save money on transactions, yada, yada, yada. But as it turns out, they used the tokens that they made to borrow more money. And uh, a combination of these two things, the fact that they used other people's money and then eventually, uh, uh, effectively borrowed money against something that they just created and and and, and I, I don't want to say uh, conclusively, but, you know, a lot of the evidence now points to the fact that they had gamed it so that they could really, really over leverage on a, on all these things. They're now stuck in a position where they owe way more money than they have, right? Money here being a fairly general term of anything that has value within within their their exchange. So um, things move very fast in crypto, right? Uh, about a week ago, the so of of these very smart friends, only one of them really is a, a face that you would recognize about a week ago. You know, he's got a big curly hair, and um, and the way the was positioned to the global market like here's a good guy that wants to save the world that doesn't care about money that just wants to be able to make some sort of profit and then just solve the world's problems right he's kind of like gandhi if gandhi knew how to use a smartphone and start trading uh, electronic money um but as it turns out he did very very shady things with it and so um within a matter of a few hours they went from a, a position of saying we have we're entirely safe, nothing's wrong, to then having to admit everything is wrong, nothing is secured, we owe way more than we have, and we're probably not going to be able to pay anyone back. And so we take the legal action that we do to protect ourselves by filing what's known as a Chapter 11, basically like a winding up order, so self-declared bankruptcy, um, to try to protect themselves legally. This has left an, an a huge sea of people obviously upset because they now assume, uh, and I think the events in the legal case will, will, will show whether um, there is a chance of recovery or not, but the vast majority of people who have used FTX now assume they cannot get much, if anything, back at all of the, of the monies that they put into the, the exchange. So yeah, uh, short answer to that, all of that is like, uh, this was a huge scale of fraud and they basically did stuff with your money that they shouldn't shouldn't have ever been able to do. Mm. Oh, and then on top of that, uh, it's not like they were not uh, licensed at all. <laughs> they had this Bahamas license, which um, which gave a certain level of uh, confidence to some people. Maybe now in hindsight, it's undue confidence. But uh, yeah, this this is this is not a case where a cowboy operator and you know operated entirely outside any sort of legal supervision or. or or regulatory supervision, they did this under supervision, and I'm I'm fully expecting that the regulators going to say, oh, they did things that they would they never told us they did, and then they were never supposed to do. The same thing happened in Three AC, right? Three Arrows Capital, uh, their regulator came out and said, oh, this is not what they told us they have done, but you know, the proof is in the pudding, and then you 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 kind of just have the entire industry now crying over spilled milk and probably worse than that last lost money, right? Yeah, I mean the scale of the collapse of FTX is actually quite, quite huge, lah. Because when FTX and uh, Alameda Research, which is his sister company combined, it's at least you know, twenty thirty billion dollars of uh, collapse over there, la. and 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 we could see in the crypto market, la, You know, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday last week, that was when the crash happened. The entire crypto market cap, uh, entire crypto market cap lost about 
$260 billion overnight. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. So Malaysia's GDP in 2020, I think Mr. Sunny is very familiar with this, is about 300, $300 uh, billion US dollars. So that's almost like 60, 70, maybe 80% of Malaysia's GDP just gone overnight. Like that. It's, it's kind of shocking. Lah. But I think first, you mentioned there in, in really simple terms that uh, you have some really shady people. They, they put on a mask and they took all your money. They gained a lot of confidence from investors. And then they created their own money printer. Then they backed all those, your money with their own money. And then using your money, they decided to just go full on out on advertising, blah, 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 making, making the Ponzi scheme much more larger to attract more money to come in while they keep on printing their own money because just now you also mentioned they uh, created their own FTT token. Then it all came crashing down when the public found out. Okay, when they tried to withdraw all out the money and when the FTT token starts to collapse in value, they were unable to repay back all their withdrawals and uh, that's in essence how the uh, we, I think the FTX crisis, uh, the whole thing occurred. La. So, Mr. Sunny, I mean, wh- when you look at these type of things, right, okay, you, you are from the traditional finance sector, you're an economist, okay. Are, are we surprised to see this? Because, because mm. what, 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 what those tra- traditional people, what, what they're saying right now is that banks do it too, banks do it all the time. But, but <laughs> you, know, you know, why aren't we seeing something like this in the traditional finance sector or have we seen something like this already? No, we, we 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 have. I mean, if you if you were to ask me, it looks very much like a combination of what we saw in the year two thousand and two thousand and eight. Um, in the year two thousand, um, right after the dot com bust, at the top of it, um, as the markets were coming down, we had again a series of scandals uh, within the corporations. Uh, those of you and probably many of you are. are probably were still in, in in school back then. So those of you old enough would remember it was Enron, WorldCom, um, there were accounting uh, uh, com- uh, accounting entities like Arthur Anderson which were, were, were involved in it. So basically it was a lot of um, um, accounts which were covered up uh, and so on and so forth. So it was really a, a big uh, corporate accounting scandal there which is reminiscent of, of, of what we're facing or seeing now where where accounts are being uh, uh, manipulated uh, uh, and so on. So we've got that part of the 2000 crisis. And we also have part of the 2008 crisis, which is the lack of transparency, which is no one knows who owns what, what owns who, who has lent what to who and such. You know, it's just scary to, 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 to even see tweets coming out which suggest that some exchanges um, receive money right ahead of, um, you know, just before they needed to prove their reserves in order to show up their reserves and then transfer money out after that um, because they it's just basically borrowing money to, to some friendly party to give them to, to, to show that um, they had the appropriate reserves. And this was what really happened in 2008. Because back then, I think both the Federal Reserve, Security Commission, everybody was trying to figure out who owns subprime. How much of subprime do these guys have? You know, And no one could put a finger on it because subprime was at that point in time uh, off balance sheet. Um, it was contingent liability. Uh, no one could put a finger to it. I think there's really a, a I think there's a movie or show about it where 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 the um, Bernanke brings in everybody into a room and says, "How much do you have?" <laughs> and tell us. Um, and and that creates an environment of fear because no one 
no one wants to lend to anybody else because I don't know your balance sheet. And this is what probably is happening today. No, you know, we're all taking um, everything off, off, off the exchanges because we don't know who's going to be the next one. We don't want to take that chance. Um, so uh, my view is we see it also in the, in the traditional finance, uh, albeit um, because it's regulated, um, uh, we don't see the extremes of it. Um, what I'm seeing now in the crypto industry is the extremes of, of, of greed uh, uh, being played out. Um, um, things which would be outright, um, I won't say impossible, but harder to get away with uh, when you talk about traditional finance because there are regulators, there are auditors, there are, there are accountants which are supposedly, there's accountability somewhere. Um, but in sorry, Mr. Tani, I think I think I lost you a bit there. Is, is it just me or, or, or uh, are you losing regulation yeah. and sometimes you Yeah, I think Sunny's breaking up a bit. Yeah. With the absence of regulation <laughs> in wait, certain let's, areas. Let's just wait. wait hear me? Can you hear me now? Uh, Mr. Sunny, I, I I think I lost you. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you you know you know what probably just happened, Sunny. You started talking about regulators and all that. Then they <laughs> heard you saying this on spaces and started started trying to censor you. Uh, regulars, <laughs> no, regular I'm, I'm kidding, guys. I'm kidding to to, <laughs> to the listeners. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> uh, uh, just just when you talked about the most important part, uh, Twitter decided to you know silence you a bit. Don't want you to talk about <laughs> Elon Musk has this filter now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Elon Musk is this filter talking about reg- but, 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 but go ahead I, I think we yeah. can uh, hear you clearly right now I'll go ahead you were talking about the uh, re- regulations and stuff yeah. Yeah. So I was just saying that you know um, we don't see this kind of extreme greed being played out in the uh, traditional finance because uh, there are many parties accountants uh, auditors um, uh, trustees custodians um, that are in place basically um, to ensure that there's some form of accountability um, or check and balance, so to say. But unfortunately, in crypto, I think it's, it's, it's still in its infancy. Um, so you have a lot of gaps um, where, where, where although you may have um, auditors and such, you, you still can find loopholes because it's still a very fairly uh, um, new uh, industry where everybody's learning, so I won't be surprised if 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 some of these key stakeholders who are supposed to be supervising exchanges, they themselves are learning the ropes as they go along. So so I think that all adds up to this situation where um you know they, they eventually regulation will come in, uh, industry standards will come in, um so it's for the betterment of everybody I guess. Yeah, I mean, though it's for the betterment of everybody's future, it, it has come at a huge cost, like the sacrifice of, uh, right now, a lot of victims, when we look back at the Terra Luna death spiral, the collapse of 3AC, then Celsius, then Voyager, then BlockFi, then now this FTX, we don't even know whether the contagion is over yet, which is really goes to show uh, how early we are in this uh, particular industry. And I think another point which I want to add on on what we said just now is the liquidity that is readily available if uh, traditional finance companies encounter any problems, like those, uh, when you talk about banks, 
every time the Federal Reserve can step in and inject any last-minute liquidity, uh-huh. send them some money just to prevent them from toppling, keep those companies alive. But when, we, when it comes to crypto companies, you don't have the government to come and save them, right? It, it, the truth just reveals itself through the blockchain and, and, and you have a lot of like uh, tech and dev experts that on Twitter that will just easily reveal your scheme. But talk, <laughs> talking about tech and dev experts, uh, uh, fast. Like, how how is this possible? How did you know people? How didn't people manage to uncover this? Uh, if I will put it simply, uh, this Ponzi scheme years ago when FTX was founded in twenty nineteen. How did it? You know, how did people allow this to blow up into such a huge bubble? And right now, only let's be honest, like CZ was the one which popped the bu- the bubble eventually. Uh, how is this possible, man? Fast. Well, two things, right? Number one, um, like Sunny said, there are lots of gaps uh, in, in the crypto space. It's because traditional finance is not a new space. It, these problems or these gaps also exist in trad- traditional finance in the early days. But over time, standards were adopted. Uh, people learned, yes, uh, unfortunately, from, from uh, unfortunate events. And then standards were set. Um, that's why there are less gaps. I wouldn't say there are no gaps in traditional finance. There are, there are relatively less gaps. The other part of this is that actually we say it so easily like, oh, blockchain is so transparent, immutable, everything's on the chain. I mean, come on. You try to open any of these blockchain explorers. Do you really think it's like reading a book and where everything's already kind of like laid out? You know, it's not like going to Google say, and say, are my funds safe in FTX or, or where, where are funds flowing in FTX? No, it's not that simple. It's possible. But it is not something that the lay, definitely the average Joe can't do. And it's also technically a challenge for anybody technical to do, right? So it takes a lot of effort. So I think sometimes, uh, well, most of the times, the crypto crowd entirely discounts how difficult it is to do analysis on the chains. Um, because we just kind of cling on to this mantra of like blockchain is entirely transparent. You know, not, you cannot lie about it. You, you, may not be, you may not be lying if that nobody knows what to look for, right? So um, I, I think those two factors, those two were very important factors. The other part, of course, that you shouldn't discount is that not all of these arrangements or things that FTX did is quote-unquote on-chain. A lot of the agreements were, you know, were done with uh, off-chain or in real life uh, agreements, right? So um, when they move funds from wallet A to wallet B, you just see them move you may not even be bothered to look, but you don't know why the funds are moving. Um, the other core element in what makes the FTX debacle really sinister is the fact that you essentially had an exchange that also had you know, um, its own VC or investor um, entity. And essentially, the exchange was loaning money to the other entity. That entity was then investing it into projects. Sometimes they're direct projects. Sometimes... Uh, just investees, but whichever way it went, those investees then plowed the money back into the exchange, and then the cycle just kept going, right? Because for me, for me personally, it was about a year and a half ago that I started wondering how much money does a FTX have to invest, right? Because you know, taking over a stadium is not cheap, right? The naming rights of a stadium that's definitely a, 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 a huge expense. But like they continually made so much investments, and, and I'm wondering like, I don't really hear a lot of people investing in FTX's funds because I'm, I'm from the VC and PE space, right? So for me, when, once I once I saw that cycle where 
FTX or Alameda would put money into a into a project, that project would then list the tokens. There'll be lots of liquidity generated, then money flows back into in, in, into um, FTX. Something you know that that's a scenario where like one plus one doesn't equal two, right? You know something else is 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 happening here, and and in the traditional finance world, banks not to say get away with it, but there's a stock there's a, a a structure or protocol for banks to do this. It's called fractional reserves, right? So the regulators and so all of the players know that the banks don't have as much money as they have loaned out, but there's a way that they account for this so that. Uh, they don't they don't go into a, a scenario where they cannot afford to recover to recover from and of course of course you still have events like 2018 that happen but like Sunny said like it it helps it helps um, minimize going to the extremes yeah um, maybe if I can just share one more thing that what we saw happen after the news came out of FTX number one we cannot discount the fact that it was CZ that called it out on Twitter I I believe anybody on this on this space right now. If you wrote this on Twitter, nobody would bat an eye. In fact, the direct opposite would probably happen. Everybody will whack you for it, right? Because you're now killing their FTX dream. But because it was CZ, an even more prominent or equally prominent player in the industry calling this out, people took it seriously and obviously then it unraveled the way it did. Now, what I don't agree with is the same, the same behavior or, or rather my hypothesis is like the same behavior led to FTX being able to do this is the same behavior that led to CZ being able to expose it. And then when, again, the, the influential figure saying, hey, here's a solution for it, proof of reserves. Everybody rallies around it and says, yeah, everybody do proof of reserves. I don't believe in proof of reserves because I don't think it will work. The reason being, and my, my, my core reason for this is because I will not be able to get PwC and Ernst & Young and everybody to audit my books to do the proof of reserves. I'm going to get Chap Ayam, Sinem Berhad accountants to do it because there's still so much that has not been um, uh, fleshed out uh, with regards to the accounting treatments and everything, that there's no standards, there's no, there's no strict standards yet. So everyone's going to come up with their own hashed version of proof of reserves. And mind you, right, like, yes, Binance is our investor, but when they publish their, 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 their most recent proof of reserves, they hit this wall immediately. They said, hey, we, wanted, we were looking for an audit firm that would help us do this. Oh, but we have a problem. They're not a, a top-tier or big-four firm. And, and, and oh, you know, it also turns out that they're also an audit firm that serviced uh, FTX. So it may be risky for us to take it. I can assure you one thing. A small enough firm will take a large enough of sum of money to say whatever you want them to say on a piece of paper, especially because this is not a regulated space. So, or, or rather a globally regulated space and without global standards. So I personally think it's just too early to demand for proof of reserves. And that goes to Tani's point, right? What were the, exchange, what were the, last, uh, the large exchanges doing? They were gaming it. They're like, I have to show everybody I have a billion dollars. Hey, I called some my friends. Hey, transfer, transfer to me this, you know, X amount of USDT, USDC, whatever, right? So I can show my books are healthy and I'll send it back to you as soon as I'm done, you know? So... We, we shouldn't just cling around personalities that say one solution without really thinking through it. So personally, uh, or rather from MX's point of view, we're not going to do all these ridiculous things just because people are saying that's how you should do it on Twitter because the same people who are saying it actually have no idea what, 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 the, what the reports or the outcomes should be, right? So uh, I think this is a scenario where you have to lean back onto the regulator. It will take time, 
the regulators will definitely need time to figure this out to to apply this to to set the standards but that's way better than you know let's see what's hot and trending and what people are saying we should do on twitter it, that that would just not work because that's how we ended up in this mess in the first place yeah actually a good a lot of good points you mentioned right there let me just unpack it really quickly i mean it's just really surprising to look at how uh, ftx grew in the span of less than four years right mr sunny uh, 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 when you when you look at a company like this, right? Actually, question for you, real quick. When when you look at a company grow so quickly in the span of four years, and for them to be able to acquire a stadium, as I just recently posted right here in the in the space, hundred thirty five million US dollars in March twenty twenty one they spent. That's not just all, you know. From twenty twenty one to twenty twenty two, when the bull market was already kind of over, when crypto window crypto winter was kind of near already, uh, you had FTX. Uh, buying a lot of advertisements, hiring top celebrities, spending $375 million in total. Then after that, they were indirectly bribing politicians also in 2020. Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried was actually one of the, the, the second largest donor to the Biden campaign, having spent over $5.2 million. And he even has plans to spend another billion dollars to influence the 2024 presidential elections. So, Mr. Sunny, when we look at this topic itself, how on earth does this does this company you know find so much money? I mean, yes, it, it has its own money printer, yes, but but I still don't understand that you know when it, when it grows so fast, it's definitely going to draw a lot of uh, suspicions to it, right, Mr. Sunny? Well, I guess yeah. I mean, there were a lot of suspicious suspicions. Um, it's just that there is no structured framework unlike um you know we have to admit like crypto is not a place where you find a lot of research proper research being done uh in the traditional finance world if if you had a company like this you know you would have research analysts from the investment banks looking at it especially if it's a public listed company and then coming out reports and saying you know these numbers don't match and this and that um, here we have basically people writing on their tweets, um, you know, I've done this, I've looked at this, and they get f- flamed and they get, you know, criticized by those who are followers of, 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 of FTX and stuff, and they only get vindicated when, with hindsight, looking back, you know, and stuff. So so it's it's really, there's no formal um, structure where, where they are credible. These people are credible, I'm not saying that they're not, it's just that you know, it's still a, a very cowboy-like uh, situation where you know, uh, and cult-like, as mentioned, as as Franz mentioned earlier, cult-like situation um, where sometimes truth gets buried under this barrage of 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 pushback um, that you get. So unfortunately, that's the case. You know, well, today if I were to invest in a certain company, I could get from the street. Um, research articles it's covered in in, in, in the news uh, uh, and so on and so on so I think one thing with FTX was basically the fact that they had very big backers like Fast mentioned um, uh, so in, an, in, a, in, in, in a scenario where I don't have the ability to do due diligence you know and this sometimes happens when, when I try and uh, uh, look into uh, investment opportunities um, in the traditional finance world, we at times will ask funds, who are your institutional investors? You may not be able to let it, tell us the name, but tell us how big they are and, 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 and so on and so forth. So sometimes 
um, they are able to provide us names because the institutional investors themselves have made it public. Uh, sometimes they're not able to, but they can tell us this is the largest family office in the U.S., for example. Okay, So we have to take their word for it. Uh, we draw comfort from from the fact that these guys are there because they invest 10 times more than we do, when, than, than we do or even much more than that. So we believe that they would have done thorough due diligence because of their uh, amount of investment. So in this particular case, you know, you don't have research reports on FTX. You don't. I don't think anybody has gone through it. It's, there's no rating agencies to 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 give it a, a rating and such. So I think one of the um, uh, sad thing was I think a lot of people depended on 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 the investors and the list of investors were A A plus investors, meaning to say that they were very well known. We even had the Masik from Singapore in it and such. And unfortunately, unfortunately, basing base basing it off basing it off the names. Uh, didn't work. So, I, so again, uh, you know, one question I have, which I think remains unanswered is, you know, what, what happened to these guys? Didn't they do the, the, the thorough due diligence, which is, you know, probably expected? I mean, that's something which we probably will find out in the days and, and weeks and months ahead. Oh yeah. my God. I, I totally agree with you, Sunny. I think the part that I still cannot figure out is, sure, maybe I couldn't do the due diligence, right? I'm just a token holder, for example. But this is insanely huge and professional funds. And that actually, like, like you said, it lends a lot of credibility, right? You know, big names, big international VC names back these guys. And, and by the way, similar names also backed uh, 3AC, right? So I, I also can't figure out, like, why couldn't they spot this? Because clearly, I mean, you can cook the books. But how far can you cook the books when you're already involved in due diligence of a fairly well-established and someone like, for example, like a, a sovereign fund, right? It just, it leads me to believe that most funds uh, or most professional investors, even in this space, are still not equipped, right? They don't have all of the information and technical knowledge to be able to really assess these things. And maybe it's just something that's just not possible at this point, right? Because the, the market maturity is still so early that the majority of people who, who can or, or, or know what to do either have a huge opportunity cost or um, they actually, they are, they're all learning as we go. So it's super risky, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why I personally think that <clears throat> the FTX uh, uh, implosion or, 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 or crisis actually will result in a almost... <sighs> 100% dry up of, of I, I may be wrong, right, no, nothing is 100%, but a large majority of institutions just not coming in or even pulling out whatever they have. Because we must remember, for many, you know, uh, who was the pension fund that got involved? It was a Cana Canadian teachers fund. Also. Many, many, many institutions, including myself, I mean, in the sense that uh, um, um, one, uh, our Malaysian entity had invested in, in, in Bitcoin, for example, part of his treasury in Bitcoin. Um, within the board of directors, there's probably just one guy, if it's a small board, that says we have to invest in Bitcoin. Okay, and say, that's, that's me. <laughs> because this is something which we, you know, our, if our clients are investing, we need to invest by, by, to, uh, together with our clients to show solidarity. You know, it's a small amount. And the rest all probably are like, mm, I don't know much about it, you know, but you know what? It's going up. People are talking about it. It seems to be quite okay. Okay, lah. Even though I'm quite reluctant, let's go ahead with it. You know, that now that this has happened, that, that majority group will come back and, and, and say, you know, look what you've done. 
we've lost a huge amount of money because of that, uh, and so on. You know, and 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 if my my fallback is you know these huge institutions were invested in it, um, uh, and it still happened. You know, the other board of directors will say, well, in that case, we can't even trust any single investment in any single platform or any single project because even the big institutions can't do due diligence on it. You know, so so I'm I'm assuming this is taking this discussion is taking place in every single boardroom that has invested in crypto, except maybe MicroStrategy. Um, so basically, the pushback will be quite high. So it's it's basically I I can assume let's get out. If we are not stuck, I'm not going to wait until this platform something happens to it, uh, because it seems that no one can have an idea of what's going on. If the big guys can't have it, can't can't know what's going on, how do you expect us to know what's going on? I mean, I think that's the discussion that's happening, and so I won't be surprised. And I think the numbers have shown that there were already institutional withdrawals from the beginning of the year. I won't be surprised if it accelerates after this. Yeah, I mean, those are really good points you mentioned. At, at the end of the day, it really boils down to the number of loopholes which all these uh, billionaires or CEOs can exploit and then make their accounts or, or, or their image look all ring and rosy, you know. Then you have all these big institutions come in and do all their research. Well, on Twitter, there's literally over 10,000 books or threads on how to do your own research already. But even then, you see, we still see this happen. We still see things like the Terra Luna death spiral where Dokkan bought up a lot of confidence from all the investors. They call themselves lunatics. You know, I was once a lunatic previously or so. I used to believe him, all his words that he says. And I, I guess, first, the next question is, you are a CEO of, a, of an exchange, okay, MX Global. So what should CEOs or, or, or billionaires learn from this crisis? You know, when you're currently managing the exchange, I'm also quite curious, another question would be, um, how does your exchange, if you're, if you're willing to disclo- disclose it, of course, how does your exchange actually earn revenue? And is it possible to do such amount of advertising like what FTX has done well, it's a difficult question, right? A lot of the larger exchanges, the CEOs become, you know, for all intents and purposes, celebrities in, in, in the space. And you become not a micro-influencer, you become then a macro-influencer, right? So I believe that there's, there must be a decorum amongst the CEOs of especially large exchanges and large projects where they cannot be making misleading statements or they cannot be directly or indirectly shilling any projects, right? So that's why even at MX Global, I, I, I can tell you that like we we have in the pipeline the ability to list quite a few tokens. As, as you know, in Malaysia, there's only nine nine tokens, right? But we ask ourselves like, you know, is this the right time? Is this the right kind of token to be, even if the regulator says it's fine, should we introduce it to the Malaysian market? Because um, even in our experience, right, organic volume is actually very, very low organic volume. We, we, we ran an experiment, we said, look, no intervention at all, no calling out market makers, no, no, no telling guys, hey, can, I, can you keep the books uh, uh, full, right? None of that. And you'll see that actually organic volume in crypto is very, very small. And we confirmed this with, with uh, a partner that does advanced on-chain analytics, right? Really organic volume in crypto is still low. So the majority of exchanges have to be able to introduce or, or intervention where you make it look exciting enough that there's enough activity that people continue. And, and yeah, effectively, you're building out FOMO, right? So 
I think CEOs, it, it, it's, it's very tough, bro, because if you admit this, then it's kind of like the entire industry has kind of proven itself wrong, right? Like people are not really buying crypto as, as, uh, uh, um, as kind of like, uh, as, Investment. as aggressively as, as aggressively as, as people say, right? Yeah. To be yeah. honest with you, 90% of the guys I know in the crypto space, even locally or regionally, are there to make a punt, right? Everyone's looking for where you can make this, this crazy overnight uh, pump and all that. That's the majority of active traders, you know? So, um, so it, it perpetuates a cycle where, as a CEO, you're highly motivated to kind of keep these guys on your platform. Now, come back to the question of, like, how do we make money as exchanges? The base exchange model is actually very vanilla and very transparent, which is that you buy or sell Bitcoin or Ethereum, I'm going to charge you a certain fee to make that happen, right? You pay me that fee because I build the infrastructure to be, for you to be able to do it in that safe way or uh, I wouldn't say automated way, but through a single platform, right? Which should, give, should be valuable to you because otherwise you're finding random strangers somewhere in the world and saying, bro, I got one Bitcoin to sell. Do you want to give me money for it? And then that guy has to give you money and you give him Bitcoin or you, you, know, uh, or you substitute that with, with any other crypto on, on, on both sides of the equation. Now, at, at MX, we, we, we try a model where if you, put it, if you put up the order, as in you're a maker, we don't charge you anything because we want to thank you for, you know, making, uh, putting up an order, right? But if you take that order, so you're a taker, we charge you 0.5%. And the amount of people, and it just takes one time for them to experience, like, you know, a close to 0% fee on another exchange, then they just lose, like, they just lose their mind. Oh, why are you charging me so much? It's 0.5%. It's not that much, right? It's less than 1%, half a percent. But large exchanges tend to go to a model where the effective rate that they charge you is close to 0%. So then that in itself then should lead you as a responsible investor to ask, hey, if they're not making money for me just doing the vanilla flavor thing, which is that, which is buying and selling my crypto, how are they making money, right? And obviously then the CEOs or, or the leadership team of these exchanges have to get quite creative. So one option is to obviously raise outside capital. So you find other investors, uh, you know, typically funds, who believe in your long-term vision and, and, and long-term growth. So they let you spend their money while you grow. That's, that's a route that, that MX has taken, right? We, we, we find partners that add value, not just from a financial standpoint, but technology, technological standpoint, market standpoint. And we, we say, hey, we have this vision. So if you believe in that, uh, and evidently uh, Binance did, uh, because our strategy is significantly different from, from Binance, right? Um, and then they, then they say, okay, we're going to give you some of our money. You use that to, to keep the lights on and, and to build a business and, uh, and you build our economics. But as days go by, there's significant pressure for ourselves as an exchange to say, because our users come to us and say, hey, you charge me 0.5%, you know, uh, there on the other side, i.e. like just another website, you don't even have to make that much of an effort to get to it. They're going to charge me half of that or they're going to charge me almost nothing. I want to go to the guy that charges me nothing. But, you know, it still leaves a question, how do they sustain their business if they make no money from you? So a lot of these larger exchanges, they come up with very sophisticated products, okay? Uh, I would say, and again, not financial advice, but if you, if you look at the overall design of blockchains and cryptocurrencies, the only passive way that I, that I can understand that you'll be able to, to grow your money is by staking behind a validator of the chain, 
and it's not cheap, right? You you know, if you want to run your own node and all that, it's not cheap. That's that's capital investment. But essentially, you're earning because the the network makes new reward tokens that you then receive because you've added to the network activity or the network processing capability. Anything else beyond staking to validator nodes is a financial product, right? And that's that's to in my view exactly what we see in FTX. They made so many complicated derivative products. And which is why, ironically, today, like, why didn't we see this coming? Because that's exactly how we ended up in twin, uh, in, in, in the subprime, subprime crisis, right? Bankers were making super complicated products that you have no idea what's really be, uh, you know, under the lid, but you're just throwing money at it, and super complicated. So, uh, maybe like to keep it for me especially, right? To keep it simple, it's like crypto is really new. Or really young, so I shouldn't be expecting to do very mature things with it. I should just be doing very simple things in crypto, sending my Bitcoin, trading my Bitcoin, right? And and if you delve a bit deeper, then yes, validating on the network or val- uh, or staking towards the validators of the network. Anything else beyond that is a financial. In- it's definitely going to be a financial instrument, and more than likely too complicated for most of us to understand. Yeah, honestly, those are really a, a good set of thoughts right there. Like you, you, you talked about, in essence, how exchanges make money. And, and, and I initially was looking for some secrets from you. I was like, what, what, what secret strategy do you have? Do you have like a secret money printer or whatnot? But actually, it's pretty simple. You just uh, create a marketplace to connect buyers between sellers, right? Every time you try and help them fill their order, and then you charge them a small fee, that's how you earn your revenue. And with that, you'll be able to fund your own cost and, if you want additional funding, you definitely have to look for investors. It's actually a really simple concept, but it's just really surprising how FTX got to this stage. Like I'm still, you know, right now trying to piece up everything together and, and, and still really at awe. Uh, but Mr. Sunny, now on to you. This one is pretty interesting questions. Like, like as an investor, okay, you you, you, you are managing funds, okay? You, you're, you're dealing with uh, large assets, you're dealing with huge amount of money, okay? You're, that means you're an investor as well. How do you actually avoid something like this? I mean, you you, you want to read the FTX report or or or, or what? You know, <laughs> I I don't I don't even. <laughs> this is why this is why I bring you here for the next question. Yeah. yeah, maybe the the easier way to answer this is um we have for example uh, we deal in regulated products because we are we are regulators so we can only deal in regulated investments. But every now and then we have clients coming to us, especially from Malaysia, with all those uh scheme cepat kaya the money game and such you know and they are like oh my friend told me this is good you know he's gotten his money back and this is you know I want to get involved in this and we just fail to change his mind because he's just so adamant in that I want to invest in it so we said fine we're your financial advisor we understand that you sometimes want to do funny stuff we respect that (laughs) but let but but let us give you some advice you want you take maximum 10% 10% of whatever you have, okay? That pot, that 10% pot, you can do whatever you want. We don't want, we don't care, okay? Because again, you want to do your stuff. Whether you take all that 10% and put it into one money game, you want to take 5%, put it in one funny stuff, another 5 we leave it up to you, but 10%. Sometimes they beg, they beg, they beg us and say, can you increase it to 15, 20% and stuff like that. Uh, it's very hard for us to say no because it's their money, but, but we have to put our foot down at a certain number. Lah. So we say, okay, fine. Because why? Um, we are not responsible when you want to do something against our advice. 
Um, but we know that if it goes wrong, it's not going to pull you down because it's only one-tenth or maximum 15, 20% or whatever you, have, whatever you have. If it goes down, we will just say, told you so. If it doesn't, we just say, well, lucky you. You know, so so from for things that we don't understand, for things that we may not have full knowledge of, we try and position size it, um, so that if anything wrong happens, it does not impact our overall financial condition or situation. So similarly, um, um, in this situation like this, uh, it would be something along that line. If you're investing a certain crypto, for example, even a certain share or any other products, um, we always say don't invest more than 10% into a particular fund, into a particular investment. You, you, you're asking for trouble if you do. Yeah. It's, 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 in essence, just uh, don't put all of your eggs in one basket. Uh, and that, the diversific diversification strategy actually is the one that will keep you alive because at the end of the day, we don't know uh, whether you know Bitcoin or what will collapse the next day or not because everybody thought FTX was one of the strongest exchange. In fact, before it collapsed, FTX was the second largest crypto exchange by volume, only slightly behind Binance. It was really rapidly uh, climbing up to the ranks and about to overtake Binance already until this uh, drama happened over here. Okay, so I think we are down to our final two questions of the night. Yeah. Obviously, uh, I want to remind you guys again, uh, this session is entirely open. If you guys have any questions to ask, do just request to be a speaker and I will immediately approve you. You can come up, join the panel and, and talk about your thoughts or so. Or you can just come up and ask your question and then uh, go back down. Okay. So first, I've I, I got another question. Okay. Let's say uh, right now we look at this crisis already. Okay? And, and, and would you say that this crisis is over? Like, uh, have, have we already been through the thick and thin? Because right now we're looking at people asking whether this is the bottom already or not. I know I, I'm meant to ask this question to Mrs. Sunny, but I'm going to ask both of you now. On, uh, what do you think about this first? Sean says no, right? Um, what we saw was the implosion of FTX. But we know that FTX had holdings and business with lots of other companies whether they were lenders, whether they were CFI, whether they were even projects that FTX had invested in. FTX was not a small player, right? Or, or rather, is not a small player. That's why I'm fairly confident that directly from FTX, there will be other consequences that will come to the fore, right? There will be other uh, projects. And it only takes one more, right? That, that not to, not, this is even beyond like a rug pull kind of situation where, where basically they raise money and then they disappeared. There are probably projects which are inextricably tied to some other arrangement that they had with FTX or Alameda. And my gut feel is that they are trying to figure out how they can right their ship. But for those of them who can't correct, cost correct in time, that's going to come out on Twitter probably, uh, you know, over the next few days, maybe even next few weeks. We saw the same thing from 3AC. In fact, I was on a different space around the first fallout of 3AC and people were saying, is this the bottom? Like, is this the worst? And we all just conveniently ignored, wanted to ignore the fact that 3AC dealt with other people, right? With other crypto projects and with, 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 with other, whether they dealt with other people uh, in crypto or fiat, there's so many relationships that are going to have to uh, correct themselves or, you know, correct their business. And some of them, I believe, will not be able to save it. So, no, I don't think this is the bottom in that sense. Um, number two, 
the way that the industry reacts immediately after this FTX debacle may also then expose another player, right? Um, just now, I, I kind of shared like, okay, like CD saying, let's use proof of reserves. Maybe it works out, and then now we know another emperor that has no clothes, right? Uh, another shady operator. Or the even in the, the opposite direction, it may also not work out well because people exchanges or, or other players may start gaming their books and in doing so trying to save face they create another problem for themselves that they may not be able to dig out there is there are a few threats that say like you know in the beginning maybe SPF wasn't really planning this as a sinister scheme <clears throat> but one thing led to another and then he dug himself a hole the hole got deeper then he had to continue to lie and it just compounded 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 so we may be seeing uh, or, or we may be living through the early stages of that of that path for yet another player. So, um, you know, I, I was speaking to some of our our partners, investors, and I think everyone assumes um, that Binance is here to stay, and Binance is too big to fail. I don't I don't believe so because number two just went out the door, right? So, uh, as much as I love the support that Binance has been showing us and all that, and I and I do think there are a lot of well-meaning people and very smart people working at something at Binance. The top five or top whichever exchanges or top DeFi protocols uh, or even decentralized exchanges is not set in stone, right? There's going to be a lot of cost correction. And uh, I, I think a third wave will happen when the regulators start coming up with very firm rules. And then you're going to see another onslaught of, uh, of businesses that uh, maybe didn't operate, uh, uh, you know, uh, in a very naughty way before the regulations, but post new regulations, they're going to be caught out. So, uh, no, I don't think this is the bottom. And um, I don't know. I don't know if this is a good or bad time to buy crypto. Um, but, you know, I, I think as we shared, you do your own research. And unfortunately for the typical retail investor, there's just so much that you could research right now. And, and there's also so much noise that will distract you from, from kind of making a, a sound judgment today. So, I will proceed with caution um, and, and, and really try as best as you can to make an informed decision uh, before you kind of click that buy or sell button, right? Yeah. I just want to latch on onto your point where you talked about uh, institutions being too big to fail. I, I, I think it's really this cancer mentality. I would say it's pretty cancer. This cancer mentality that led to the dot-com bubble, the 2008 financial crisis where the Lehman Brothers collapsed and more recently, in fact, in crypto terms, uh, it's the Terra Luna Death Spiral, obviously. At one point of time, um, the UST and Terra, almost uh, even Luna, is one of the top six coins in the crypto market. Nobody thought it could fall. And then it just fell in less than three days. It dropped to zero. And, and, and we're just seeing the same thing happen over and over and over again. And right now, a lot of trust is being placed on CZ because honestly, it took a very good opportunity to capitalize on uh, the other exchanges' failure, and then he decided to push out some very complicated stuff, proof of reserves that not everybody will understand. But when you look at it, oh, it sounds very technical. I trust them, and then you have a lot of people still uh, very convinced that uh, Binance is too big to fail. But Mr. Sunny, same question: Is the contagion? Do you think we've seen the bottom? Uh, 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 and, and if we compare it to the equity market or whatnot, I mean, basically, basically where are we going to hit next? What's your, what's your projection over here? 
Hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, one question I've, I've been thinking about is um, um, if 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 this was a regulated industry, um, and FTX was basically in the under the realms of the Security Commission or, or, or such, um, would there have been a bailout? Because it is because we've seen in 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 traditional finance when it's too big to fail. Um, the authorities will step in to stem what we call systemic risks. Um, so that that I mean, it's just an open-ended question. I was just asking myself over and over again: Is it too big? And I I don't have the answer, but it does seem that, as you correctly mentioned, it's a very large exchange. We don't know how far those tentacles go into the rest of the crypto industry. We are seeing signs of it. I think there was one hedge fund which just announced it had 50% of its holdings in 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 FTX. Um, um we also have seen uh, bits and pieces of news coming out to say that projects have suddenly gone dark. Um, uh, meaning to say they have just gone offline and people suspect it's because most of their funds were on FTX. So FTX basically because of its size catered to a huge number of 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 sub industries, whether it's people doing projects, whether it's funds using it as a place to custodize their, 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 or even just do trading and such. So even people like us, uh, we, have, we, we have one particular um, accredited investor fund, a crypto hedge fund, uh, that our clients uh, get access to the crypto markets via. Uh, you know, first thing that the news came out was, like, you know, I was straight away in touch with them. I said, look, what's the exposure and they said we're talking to the 10 because it's fund of funds so they, they invest in 10 other hedge funds uh, so they are they are a hedge fund they they manage the overall risk of the portfolio and the portfolio is made out of 10 other hedge funds <laughs> which are doing the the traditional um, strategies long short arbitrage um, uh, risk parity stuff but but instead of using fx they use crypto <laughs> uh, does very well but anyway uh, uh, first question was how much exposure do we have and they said we've spoken to the 10 funds that hedge funds that we are invested in seven came back to say no they, they're not in FTT they're not on FTX three of them have exposure but it all adds up to about slightly more than 3% so okay that's fine but now it's come to a second level is the discussion has moved on to do we have counterparty risks Okay, meaning to say that you know um, 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 some of these funds are they invested in people who may have exposure elsewhere on a different exchange, but that exchange has some cracks already occurring that we can't tell. So because it's just so opaque and and non-transparent in a sense that you can't tell like back in the subprime crisis who has this off-balance sheet contingent liability that we all don't know about. Um, I'm not going to lend to anybody. I'm just going to put put my money into the um, uh, overnight uh, repo facility that the Federal Reserve has because I rather have one percent return than to lend money to another bank and not know whether I'm going to, I'm going to get it back the next day. Okay, so I think that's going to impede the 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 liquidity in the crypto world. No one's going to everybody's going to worry about uh, um, um, either trading or even lending or even transacting with another counterparty because I don't know who your custodian is. I don't know who your exchange is, um, and and so on. So so that in itself 
um, I think will put a cap on on the activity on on, on crypto, and then you bring in again, like I mentioned, uh, the institutions who I believe are now on one side of the boat, i.e., all trying to exit uh, because they cannot justify to either their investment committee, board of directors, shareholders, stakeholders that why should they continue to invest in something where even the big boys get burnt. Um, and then I think there are still bulls still around who will look for any opportunity. Uh, uh, um, you know, the, the so-called rally that we're seeing now, the so-called CZ rally, <laughs> the CZ intervention <laughs> rally that we're seeing now, uh, we all know in traditional finance, every time the Federal Reserve comes in during a crisis, um, the market goes up. But seldom does it signal the bottom of the market. Uh, you've seen the Federal Reserve intervene during 08, during 2000. The market doesn't, I mean, this, again, I'm just using traditional finance and applying it to, to, to here. In traditional finance, the markets never bottom upon intervention by the authorities, upon introduction of schemes like the Trouble Asset Relief Program, TARP, which is very similar to what CZ is trying to set up the fund to buy up them because they're good. When value unlocks next time, you know, you make money back and, 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 and all is fine and dandy. But it never works immediately. It's good to have in order to bring back confidence, but the market will only bottom when the sellers run out. I know it's a bit difficult to understand what you mean by sellers running out, but literally that. Literally when everybody who wants to sell has sold, the market will bottom and that typically comes and that we all know when we talk about things like um, uh, uh, what we call capitulation and that really is a sign of everybody just throwing the towel those people who have waited and waited and waited they finally give up they throw in the towel you see one long red bar there uh, all the way down and people are talking about you know jumping out windows and such and you know basically that's really the point where where all the sellers have sold um, you literally I uh, have no one else selling, and that's where markets will, will bottom out. Um, so the, so I don't think we've reached that point. I think the institutions want to sell. I think uh, people, the liquidity will be very sparse. I think there are individuals who also will capitulate uh, because retails are, are strongholders, um, but at, the, at some point they will, they will give up. Um, I think only after that, and I don't know where in terms of pricing that would put Bitcoin and everybody else, um, you know, it could be a case. And then hearing this also is if the regulators come in very strongly now, um, then you are talking about um, many altcoins being being scrutinized um, and being checked upon. You know, you you know you you don't want to be in a coin where where the SEC is, is looking into its books and stuff. So you may want to get also, and you want to just cash out. So all of this. Um, so there's still hurdles, but I'm having said that and having frightened everybody, I'm very positive about this whole situation. Because why? Because if you look back and you ask yourselves um, which was the sector that got hit the worst in 2008, it was the banks. It was the financial sector. It was a financial crisis. So banks were beaten left, right and center, bruised and battered and so on and so forth. What happened after that? Regulations came in. You've got the regulations which... Uh, force them to have higher capital adequacy ratios. You have regulations which basically force them to break up the banks because your trading arm couldn't be together with your retail arm and so on and so forth. And 10 years, 15 years later, now today, 
when we talk about a recession, we talk about a deep recession, we talk about uh, potentially a, a huge reset in the economy, what is, which sector doesn't come on top as being extremely risky? The banks, the financial sector. Why? Because they underwent that reset. They, strength, they got strengthened by the regulation. They became stronger in terms of balance sheet. And today, when you want to rank and you ask anybody where's the next blow-up going to be, they're probably going to say uh, corporates. Zombie corporates, uh, single B, double B corporates who have no cash flow, but because of the low interest rate and a lot of liquidity, managed to borrow left, right and centre during the past 10 years. Liquidity is drying up, interest rates have gone up. These are going to be the place where the next crisis is going to happen. People are going to point to that. People are going to point to the sovereign side. People are going to point every, but they're not pointing to the banks. Why? Because the banks are strong today due to what happened in 08. So I think crypto is on the positive side. I see that happening for crypto. So to, so to me, it's, it's positive. It's just that short term, uh, uh, we have to undergo this pain. It's a necessary evil uh, to come out of it and, and, and become better, so to say. Yeah, actually, actually on that, right? Actually, on that, maybe the maybe the listeners, especially from Malaysia, you might be interested to know that the SE today released an update to the guidelines of right, uh, recognized market operators. So, as MX Global were decided to exchange, that's a, that's a, that's under that umbrella of uh, recognized market operators. So, uh, what Sunny was talking about before are effectively capital buffers, right? Regulators say, hey, you want to pro- you want to provide a new product or uh, a new element of risk. You do that by by putting more skin in the game. You put you 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 show more money on the table uh, before you roll this out to the market. And if you read the new revised guidelines, which just came out, which just came out today, you'll see that. Uh, and we've been talking to the SE about this for quite a while, right? We know that one of the problems in the Malaysian market is that is liquidity. That's why you have a lot of P2P players. That's why you have a lot of OTC players, all kind of operating in the shadowy, uh, in, in the in the in the shadows. And and I really recommend a lot of people. Not, not to do this, right? Because obviously there's a risk that you may not actually get what you are promised. But also there's a, there's a further risk because now cryptocurrencies, in terms of a tax guidelines, is already made clear in Malaysia. So you're going to have a hell of a time trying to explain why you bought this thing from this dodgy Persian guy in Montiara and, 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 and what, where did he get it from to give it to you and all that, right? So one of the new uh, improvements in regulations in Malaysia is the ability for exchanges like us to provide direct access to liquidity, i.e. Uh, effectively like a one-click buy-sell or instant buy feature, right? So I know that one, one of the regulated players already had, has introduced this, but uh, when the SE looked at that model, they said, okay, the way that you can introduce this to the, mo- to the market is that you must, so you must capitalize a, an asset exchange with 5 million ringgit before you can even operate the business. Now, to do this additional feature, which is to provide direct access to liquidity, uh, or, or basically one-click buy-sell, right? Uh, where we are the counterparty to you when you want to buy or sell the crypto, uh, we have to put out another 5 million ringgit and maintain that capital balance for that, one, for that one provision of that service. I personally see that this is probably the direction that most regulators are going to go in, right? Uh, or, or go towards, which is that here's vanilla flavor stuff. You just need this minimum, this minimum uh, commitment. And when I say minimum, it's not small, right? It might be a few million dollars to start. You want to introduce more stuff. You want to introduce lending. You want to introduce staking. You want to introduce this and that. You put more money on the table so that there's assurance for your, for your users that if something goes wrong and you go bust, 
there's a minimum balance that you've maintained there that they can recover something. Because what is effectively missing from the crypto space today is something that was missing for a long time from the banking sector, which is basically insurance for your deposits. If you're a Malaysian uh, uh, using, uh, if you're a Malaysian uh, customer of a Malaysian bank, your deposits are insured up to a certain amount, right? Not everything, but up to a certain amount. This practice is common in many, many regulated markets, but it's not a practice that is um, that's well-defined and, and adopted in crypto right now. So my hypothesis is that regulators will repeat behaviors that they know have worked in the previous or, or the incumbent traditional financial markets and impose that on crypto. And maybe that's good, maybe that's that we'll never know, but I'm fairly confident that that's the direction it's going to go into. You want to do more, you just got to put up uh, more safety net and put up more money to show that you're serious about it. Yeah, it's just like something like a collateral. Uh, the concept is like just in case that, you know, like you mentioned just now, in case that this exchange or your service go bust and you have like, some liquidity to refund to your customers or whatnot. And given enough time, the regulations will definitely come in and uh, it's hard to say whether it's it's objectively good or bad, but it's just a change that at the end of the day, we all have to face. Yeah, yeah, it has been a good one and a half hours, almost one and a half hours already. We do have a few questions from the audience right now. I just want to quickly remind you guys, uh, session is actually open. Uh, you guys can come up, just request to be a speaker if you guys want to talk to us. Uh, we won't bite, obviously. The, this, these guys here are pretty chill, uh, as you heard from the session just now. Um, the question that we have currently is from It's Marshall. Sorry to put you on the spot. Huh? Uh, I posted your question here at the space already. Pardon my ignorance, pretty layman in this space. There's nothing layman about this. Lah, okay? At the end of the day, what we, our goal here is just to uh, uh, explain to people what we know and, and how do we actually prevent falling into this type of traps in the future. Anyway, here's my question to Fast. Why should we use a centralized exchange as compared to some decentralized exchanges? Oh, that's actually a good question. Uh, do we want to retrace back a bit fast and talk a bit about the uh, difference between a centralized exchange and a decentralized exchange just so that people really understand what's going on? Yeah, maybe I want to trace back even a bit further than that, right? To understand how a centralized or decentralized exchange works, you have to also understand how your money is represented or stored. And when I say money, I mean generally, right? Even your crypto. So we talk about the wallets first, right? There are different types of wallets and essentially... Um, you know, you can have a Bitcoin wallet, an Ethereum wallet to store specific cryptos. Now, there are different types of these wallets. That's what's called a hard wallet or hardware wallet, right? It looks fairly similar to a USB, uh, a USB stick. When you buy one of these, you set up a password and they typically, most of the products in the market right now, they come up with, they come with this 12-word seed phrase. This is like your, your recovery phase. It's the most important thing you must Remember, you probably will not memorize, but you need to have it stored somewhere because that's the only way to recover. If there's no other party involved in the custody or securing your assets. So if you go down the path that you want to have your own wallet, whether it's a hardware wallet, or later I'm going to also share that there are some software-based wallets, the 12-word secret phrase is the most important thing. You need to always have stored somewhere safe, reachable, and you know that that belongs to that key. Because why? A lot of people I know, they buy more than one hardware wallet. It's going to be another nightmare for you when you have so many to manage, okay? So this wallet essentially is where you can store uh, your balances. Now, there are software wallets, which are the equivalent of these USB keys, 
which are basically services which are available on the internet. Again, similar experience in, in, the, in the sense that you will get a 12-word secret phrase. And on top of that, you may, even with a hardware wallet, you may introduce your own password, like, like your login password. The 12-word secret phrase, and I cannot emphasize this enough, is the only way to recover it. Okay? Now, on exchanges, they use a combination of these wallets. That's why there's an, another, I guess, family of wallets that they refer to as what's a hot wallet and a cold wallet, right? So some of these wallets are connected directly to the exchange. These are called hard wallets. And that's the amount of Bitcoin or Ethereum available at any one time to transact with on the exchange. Most centralized exchanges use this model. But there is also, at the same time, a cold wallet for most centralized exchanges. I, I would even have to say all centralized exchanges have a cold wallet. So, you know, when, when there's a total of 100 Bitcoins out of everyone's deposits or being traded on the exchange or could be traded on the exchange, a certain portion of it, a small portion, is left on the hot wallet, which is accessible for trade. The remainder, the, the centralized exchange actually stores it away from the network or away from the application so that you increase the security measures so that those cannot be, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, vulnerable at any time. All the hot wallet funds are vulnerable, right? Can be hacked. You hack an exchange, you probably get access to the hot wallets. Fairly, uh, well, not to say fairly, but exponentially more difficult for you to then hack the cold wallet infrastructure. So you have this wallet infrastructure, okay? So in centralized exchanges, they have a hot wallet, they have the cold wallet. You as a user do not own the keys to either of these wallets. You have the rights over these wallets. You have to trust that your exchange is going to do the right thing and execute all of your instructions. And of course, there are limits to the instructions. You cannot do anything nefarious. But, but what I mean instructions, I mean like when you say, I have, I have one Bitcoin, I want to sell 0 0.1 of it. The exchange will make sure that that happens from the hot wallet. When you go into decentralized exchanges, that's the realm where the custody, there is no third party which is involved in securing your wallets. You are most likely going to use a software-based wallet um, uh, or you're going to transfer from your hard wallet into the, the, the cloud wallet, right? And then you are the only person in the world that can be responsible for this. It does not mean that you're the only one that can do stuff to it. You can still be hacked. Now, generally, and this is not financial advice, but general user experience advice, right? If you don't know what you're doing with regards to these wallets, you should not be using a decentralized exchange because all of the responsibilities on you. You do one thing wrong, you send to the, to the wrong address, the wrong, uh, um, you know, like how uh, Ethereum addresses are like often numeric, fairly long. Nobody memorizes their own address, by the way. Um, I can tell you that the most, the most frequent mistake on MX Global is that when people want to send their Bitcoin out, they put their email address as their address. If that was, if, if you did that on a decentralized exchange and they had no other security measures, uh, that Bitcoin is gone forever. No one in the world can help you recover it. So on centralized exchanges, you have this added layer of service by the exchange where to protect you against yourself. Okay. So generally, I would recommend that people use centralized exchanges if you're not a fairly sophisticated, not even fairly, like very sophisticated technical user. There are many things that can go wrong when you take on all the responsibility for yourself. Now, having said that, what would be the best practice in terms of securing yourself and your funds is that you should go to the exchange, whether centralized or decentralized exchange. You probably will use the wallet infrastructure that they afford you. You do your trade. 
And when you know that you don't want to do any more active trades, you should probably invest in yourself and learn how to take it off the exchange, whether centralized or decentralized, take it off the exchange and store it in your hard wallet. Because that's the highest level of security you can afford yourself. But again, I must advise everyone that you become entirely responsible for your own actions and essentially that USB key. If that thing goes missing, if, if you forget the password, if you lose the 12 uh, word secret phrase, nobody in the world can help you, right? So um, I guess that's as exhaustive an answer as I can give, but the long and short of it is really that centralized exchanges give you more service. And I'm not saying that because I run a centralized uh, exchange, right? MX Global, we are a, a CEX, right? Um, but essentially is that there are probably more things that you need to be able to do that the typical entry-level user will not be able to do and figure out on their own. And sometimes learning for yourself in crypto is a fairly painful and expensive exercise. Yeah, actually, uh, those thoughts that you shared is actually makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, in, in, in simple terms, uh, one will use a centralized exchange if they are uh, they cannot manage their own funds. They literally don't know where to store their seed phrases. They don't know how to manage their own wallets. Like, uh, like if I were to recommend my dad to buy crypto right now, I wouldn't ask him to buy his own hardware wallet and, and, and get started and in such a complex manner. You definitely want to start with a centralized exchange, which is simple to use and etc. etc. Uh, then, for those who are more interested in self-custody, if you are good at managing your own funds, then definitely uh, a cold wallet is a safer option for you. But then again, a cold wallet, a good point you pointed out right there is that if you lose your seed phrase, that means everything's gone. So uh, at the end of the day, it boils down to everything also has a risk. Yeah, and, and it depends on how you, you manage the risk, whether you trust someone else to manage that risk or, or, or you're trusting yourself to... Uh, manage your own funds. Now we are not actually. Actually, you know what? Um, yeah. A lot of people when, when I tell them this, yeah. I I find that a lot of people are overconfident in their ability. So the simplest way I put it is right, I, I, and especially people who are around my age. Most people started off with a hotmail address. I, I'm not sure if you guys did, right? But you just ask yourself honestly, do you still remember your hotmail password? Most people, unless you're still using hotmail, don't remember the password to their first email address. So that in itself, I mean, you don't have to prove it to anybody else, but just to yourself, right? It is actually very, very likely in the long term that you probably will forget the password and you will probably misplace the 12-word seed phrase of that self-custody wallet. Oh, shit, man. You're making me a bit worried. I've got to go and check right now after this talk to make sure I go and store my seed phrases, uh, whether it's where I previously put it or not. <laughs> uh, but... um. Apologies for the speakers who want to come up. We are no longer accepting speakers. We're just probably going to address uh, one or two more questions because we want to end the session by latest 11.10 uh, p.m. Uh, but Mr. Sunny, do you have anything to, to add on regarding our topic over here before I move on to the next question? Oh, no, no, no. Um, nothing much. But um, I guess... Cold wallet. Guess, yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, you have to make sure that's waterproof since it's a bungee now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <Yeah. laughs> but 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 I think what um, Fase is very true. I think um, at the end of the day, um, if you want to be involved in crypto, and given the current situation where things are still in its infancy, um, the exchanges as we can, as we as we saw, aren't very strong. 
because there's no regulation and such, I think you have no choice. Meaning to say, unless you're telling me you your $1,000 or $2,000, if you lose it on an exchange, you're okay, then fine. But if it hurts you, then basically um, you need to learn how to have how to operate a, a, a hardware wallet, basically um, a core wallet. Um, and, and I think the, uh, fast, what Fast says is very true. Use, use the exchanges basically um, as the transaction vehicle. Whatever you don't want to use, then bring it off the exchange to the core wallet. And then you need to understand how to store the, the seed phrase and such. You know, uh, As an old man like myself, you know, I've, I've, you know, my seed phrases are en- on en- engraved uh, on on these kind of uh, hard metal uh, things, which are you know, you take a, a sharp pen and you engrave it, and then I put it into a a pouch which is fireproof and it's in my safe. Uh, so you know, and I have to learn how to do this um, because I think it's important. Uh, because when you are dealing in, in this kind of situation where confidence is not um, very high, this is really the, your, 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 land, your last resort. And even when we talk about traditional finance, um, Fat mentioned about um, um, banks having insurance deposits, uh, uh, insur- uh, insurance on deposits. I remember clearly during the financial crisis, we had clients who had like, for example, half a million dollars, a million dollars sitting in the bank. And they came to us and said, well, okay, uh, is it safe in this bank? I said, we don't know because it's a financial crisis. And if Citibank and, 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 and Lehman Brothers can go down and stuff like that, I said, we don't know. So I said, what should I do? I said, then we told them, well, you should actually go and open up accounts with every other single bank that you can do so. Transfer your money and make sure every every bank account is 50000 Why? Because the insurance deposit covers 50000 So you've got 10 banks, you cover half a million of your, you're guaranteed that you are able to claim half a million uh, in a sense if everything goes bad lah. Of course, you know this is really a bit kiasu, a bit over the over overboard. But that's the reality of it. So you have to go through some trouble if you really want to feel uh, uh sleep well at night, lah. So to say, lah. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Mister Sunny, for for sharing your your thoughts over there, lah. And 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 the part where you mentioned about kiasu, right? I think that's the Singapore effect, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's pro- probably time to come back to Malaysia to vote. Right? <laughs> November nineteen, guys. November nineteen. I received uh, my uh, received my poster vote. So um, ooh, okay. actually, yeah, tomorrow submitting it via someone who's going to bring it back up. Yeah. Ah. Uh, okay. 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 Very nice. Very nice. Okay. Uh. All right. We're we're down to our last question for the night already. And um, for those of you guys who missed the earlier part of the session, let's say you just joined like five ten minutes ago. Do not worry. Uh, you see this space, the top left-hand corner of this space, there's this record button over here. Right after I end this space, you'll be able to listen to uh, the recording of the session. I will just adjust the start times accordingly. So the last question for the night to wrap up our entire session is from Balls. And he asks, is it realistic for regulated exchange to disclose numbers on assets under management against user liabilities on a daily basis? This way, there's little room for exchanges to do hanky-panky stuff, at least not for an extended period of time. Fast, you want to take this question? Simple answer to that is no. Uh, it is not realistic because the amount of work and processes that needs to be done to 
probably takes more than a day, right? You probably do not want to accept a letter from me or my management that says, these are the amount of funds that we have and this is how much you have deposited, you know, uh, and, and it's true. You probably want a scenario where you engage a third party. Hopefully, as, as, as I kind of shared in a previous answer, like you want it to be like a notable auditor. And uh, if any of you have worked in companies that have been involved uh, with engaging auditors, you would know that, you know, they are quite thorough. And assuming that volumes on the exchange also is is not minuscule, right? Like not just like uh, two or three transactions in the entire day. <clears throat> it then becomes fairly unrealistic to expect that all the balances and all that would be reconciled um, you know, within a day and then this to be repeated every day uh, by engaging a third party. So the short answer to that is no, it's not realistic, but does that mean that we cannot come to a solution which serves that purpose? Um, I do believe we are, we're moving towards that. Um, if it's any assurance uh, to the Malaysian users, the SC is not really a fly-by-night rubber stamp type regulator. They're actually quite strict. As frustrating as it is for myself and my management team to try to get things through the SC, the positive side of that is that they actually really do look out for your protection, right? You as the investor. So my, my personal thought is that long-term, especially in regulated jurisdictions, it's going to be like traditional finance, which is that you rely on the credibility of the regulator to continue to police us and make sure that we don't do any hanky-panky with your, with your funds. So um, um, such a direct and, and that's, you know, in my view, very academic and, and oversimplified solutions such as just showing the balances tally every day, that can definitely be manipulated, that can definitely be abused. And the reality is most investors don't do all of their own research. So if it's just going to take down to somebody printing on uh, or like public, publishing a, uh, an A4 PDF and saying, yeah, balance are true, I can so, I can so see this going sideways and somebody abusing it and later we're going to be in a similar space saying, hey, that was such a great idea, proof of reserves. It's just failed all of us. What do we do next? We can't keep going like this, right? I think this is a time when the industry has to start embracing the fact that regulators are there for a purpose. Yes, it is excruciatingly painful, especially when you have such strong FOMO, you see every other coin pumping and all that in, in, when, when the periods are like in, in a bull run, you think, oh, I don't have access to that through regulated means. But regulations are not there to try to make you rich overnight. Regulations are there so that the downside or these kind of events shouldn't really happen in the regulated um, jurisdictions. Now, having said that, my closing statement to this is that it does not mean that black swan events and negative events at least never happen in regulated uh, jurisdictions. I think as Sunny pointed out before, you have so many other crises that have happened in other regulated, regulated jurisdictions in traditional finance itself. It just means that the likelihood of it happening is much lower. It doesn't bring it to zero. So you, you should still be careful. You shouldn't believe anyone. Not me, not Sunny, not Futurist, not CZ, nobody, right? Because you have to think through what are your rights. Legally, what are your rights if something goes wrong? In the Malaysian regulated jurisdiction, your rights are through the regulator. Your recourse is through the regulator. If you lost money on an unregulated exchange, the most you can do is complain to your regulator. 
But guess what? Your regulator can't do anything to that exchange. If MX Global abuses your funds, not only will I have a thousand one questions to answer to regulator tomorrow, more than likely as a responsible person of the entity, I'm probably going to go to jail. So that in itself, at least to the retail investors, should provide you a much greater level of assurance than you know a daily report that we put out that says your funds are safe. Yeah, that's actually a good point right there. I mean, the, the first bar, uh, I would say the first checking point to see if uh, an exchange is legit or not is to just very simply do a quick Google search in Malaysia, go to the SC website and just take a look at whether the current exchange is recognized by the SC or not. And the SC also has a red list and also like, uh, if I'm not mistaken, a list which it doesn't know. And obviously, the red list includes Binance, Wobby, all those type of stuff. And like what you mentioned just now, like, in case that you lost any funds in these type of exchanges which aren't recognized or unregulated, then that's going to be extremely difficult for the SC to help you. Yeah, it's been a great one and a half hours, guys. I hope you guys in the audience enjoyed this session. Allow me to just uh, quickly recap what we've talked about for the entire session and then I'll just pass it to the panels, to, to the speakers today, just to quickly have a quick last word. Uh, we talked about the FTX crisis. In essence, it was a fraud. It was like something like a Ponzi scheme. They created their own money printer. They used the user-deposited funds to do their advertising, to expand their company. Then they just went full-on bonkers. And after that, the public found out, or perhaps CZ found out, and he exposed the weakness, and FTX collapsed within three days. Uh, the lessons that we need to learn is proper risk management, like Mr. Sunny covered earlier during this session, you do not want to put all your funds in a single bag or perhaps a single exchange thinking that, oh, it's entirely safe. I'm going to put my funds, all my funds in Binance right now because CZ has shown the proof of reserves already. Well, we don't even understand what that means. We don't even know actually what, what, what it represents. So it might be fraught at some, at some extent or so. So just make sure you do not put all of your eggs in one basket. And practice self-custody, right? That's the importance of cold wallet. If you want to make sure that your funds are, are safe, then make sure you manage your own funds. Make sure you learn how to uh, uh, get a bit tech-savvy, get a Legend Nano S wallet. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's only about two, 300 ringgit. And let me tell you this, it's extremely worth the investment. I think Mr. Sunny will agree with me also. And all in all, when it boils down to the crisis itself, when we look at the FTX crisis, uh, the two speakers here, including me as well, I don't think this crisis is over. Uh, and I think we still have quite a bit of downside to go because we have to factor in how many victims are, or perhaps institutions are partners with FTX and how many more will topple. So gradually in the upcoming months, you'll start to see all these over-leveraged exchanges having you know, very irresponsible actions and we'll gradually see them unveil. So yeah, uh, Mr. Sunny, some last words before we... Before I pass it over to uh, Fast. Um, well, if there's any last word, it's probably uh, I think there are lessons to be learned from from what we are undergoing. Um, and like I say, I'm I'm still very positive about the space. Um, I hope people, um, you know, sometimes when these things happen, um, it it paralyzes you and you kind of just throw throw in uh, the towel and you just walk away. Um, I think for any investment, um, you should not just, I mean, let's put it this way, la. digitization, blockchain, cryptos, I think it's it's part of the future. 
um, you just have to 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 come back again, um, do a lot more homework. Uh, hope the regulators come in, find a comfortable uh, amount of risk to take. You know, and I think you will enjoy the so-called uh, um, uh, overall rewards uh, of of investing in this space. Um, because I think prior to this, it was a little bit of a cowboy, um, very highly speculative. You know, um, you don't lose money uh, from price actions. You get rugged, uh, which is a very bad taste in your mouth, leaves a very bad taste. Um, you know, but when that, that, that settled, um, it is at the end of the day, a very advanced technology if you're, in, if you're looking at projects which have utility uh, and so on. So don't give up. Um, uh, but come back with uh, better equipped from from this overall thing. Yeah, yeah. words of the wise over there. Uh, fast on to you. Last words. Yeah. Um. We're it's going to get better, right? The the silver lining in all these things is that with you know the the lunar death spiral with what's happening with FTX, weaker or abusive projects are going to be flushed out. No guarantee that all of them will be flushed out, but it's better than everyone hiding under the guise of operating fairly large, successful global businesses. So I'm confident that in the longer term, right, and, 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 and I take a long-term view in, in most of the things that we do and, and most of the things and decisions that we take at MX, uh, the best projects and the, will, will survive this crypto winter, will survive this downturn in the market, um, will be able to cost-correct because... Uh, just as you put it just now, there are many projects that are intertwined or, or have some sort of relationship with FTX. Some of the best ones will be able to unwind from that, not wind up, but basically unwind from those relationships and come out of this stronger, right? So this is a thinning of the herd, which is going to be in the long term very good for the industry. I agree with Sunny. One way or another, blockchain and cryptocurrency is here to stay. There's going to be some variant of this. And if you think that everything's already set in stone. It's probably not because those of you who may have invested in, in crypto quite a few years ago will remember that some of these names that we talk about today, FTX, Binance and all that, they didn't even exist. That was Mount Gox, right? The biggest one in the world at that point. So there's no, it's not a given who's going to be the biggest in the world, whether five months, five years or 50 years from now. But I am confident that cryptocurrency and blockchain will be in the economy in some way, shape, or form. Um, and, you know, at MS Global, the, the truth is we make no money if you deposit your ringgit or Bitcoin or Ethereum with us. We make our money because you trade that. So my, my parting advice really is that come, come on to something like MS Global. Be safe and conscious of your own balances, your funds, because these are your, your assets, your property anyway. Use us for exactly what we are labeled as. We're an exchange. Come there, exchange it when you want to exchange it. Other than that, invest in yourself and learn how to secure your funds. And, you know, I, I hope that we'll be able to, to, to help you help yourself and, and, and don't expect more from an exchange than that. We are just here to provide a platform for you to find that random stranger somewhere else in the world or at least in Malaysia and be able to sell or buy the crypto or digital assets that you want. Beyond that, a digital exchange, I don't believe, is, is we're not banks. We're trading platforms. You're coming to us like how, you, how somebody would go to KL Stock Exchange, not to CIMB. So um, be your own bank. 
and uh, invest in yourself to be able to learn how to secure your funds. Yeah, thank you so much, Fast, for speaking words of the wise over there. Right? And, and, and I think ultimately, as an investor, everybody is an investor over here, I'm sure. Um, just realize that if you're affected by the FTX crisis, realize that your financial status can always be recovered, uh, but you only have one life. So if anybody has any personal issues or whatnot, please go and seek professional help if need be. Uh, and just take care of yourself, guys. Uh, just do us a quick favor. Make sure you follow these two extremely talented speakers over here. Fast, CEO of MX Global, Mr. Sunny, economist and certified financial planner. And, what, and whatever we say tonight is not financial advice. All right, guys. Good night. Stay safe. And remember to vote on 19th of November. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye, everybody.